This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good morning. Good to see everyone out on this rainy day. My name is Tom, um, and this is my Sunday. It's my turn. Our folks, (laughs) that's one person. (laughs) Hey, for our guests, people that uh, may not have been here all summer long, uh, we're going through a series this summer, and we do this every summer, where we take a series and uh, we give each one of our pastors a time to come and teach. And so this is my Sunday. Amen. We're almost, we're almost uh, wrapping up this uh, series as we go through the summertime. It's called Raising the Bar, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, what we're doing is we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, just part of it anyway, in Chapter 5. And so each one of us are taking um, a section of that and teaching on that. And um, no, un- unbeknownst to me, you know, Rick at the beginning of the summer sent us out a list and said, pick your date, pick your subject, whatever, as you go through that. And uh, I didn't realize, I had a busy June and July, um, and so I figured I'd pick something in August, and I picked um, this this Sunday and this topic, and I didn't realize that I probably picked the hardest verses, right? <laughs> but anyway, maybe not, but the, the ones that we're going to go through today are, are some difficult sayings that Jesus had, and we're going to try to um, take a look at them and explain them and and see what Jesus had for us. Um, so we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Yeah, and there's a pew Bible there. If you want to open that up, you can look at that and follow along. Um, and it's on page 889 in case you want to look at that. If you have your smartphone, you can bring it up and take a look at those verses as well. Now Jesus is talking in this Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's talking about kingdom life. And when Rick, uh, the first Sunday that Rick... Uh, started our series off, he, he explained to us uh, what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about living in his kingdom. Now, we believe as Christians that Jesus will come back to this earth and reign for a thousand years, and we as Christians that are alive now will be with him at that time, and will reign and rule with him, and he will be, um, he will be king on the earth. He'll be the ruler on the earth. Uh, the people listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, probably had in their mind that Jesus was going to rule in their time, but it's going to be a time in the future. And that's key to remember as we go through this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was not setting down in the Sermon on the Mount a new set of rules to follow, like the Old Testament law. He was not setting down new rules or regulations, but he was taking uh, what God had given them through the Old Testament and through the Old Testament times, and he was um, making it complete. He was He was talking about... Um, our attitudes, not just our actions, but our heart and our attitude. We've been looking at this um, passage, uh, just part of the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're going to look at some difficult verses. These verses today that we're going to look at are often uh, misinterpreted and misapplied. And so it's important that you listen very carefully today to everything I say. But if you have some questions at the end, I'll be down front uh, a couple of other pastors will probably be here. If you have some questions about some things you hear today, uh, come up and ask us. Feel free to do that. 
and uh, we'll answer some questions that you may have. If you have a prayer need or, or if, you, if you want us to pray with you, we can do the same thing when you, um, at the end of the service. A couple of things we have to remember as we study um, these passages. And like I said, I know a lot of you are from out of town. You may just be here this one Sunday. I encourage you to go back and maybe listen to some of the other messages um, through the summer to kind of get the context. But we can't just take one or two phrases that Jesus said or verses and take them out of context. We have to look at God's whole word and make sure that they fit in um, with, with what God is saying throughout his word. We also can't take these verses out of the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, who Jesus is talking to and what um, he's conveying to them about their attitudes and about uh, the, some of the beliefs that they had. Now, in case you've been living underneath a rock for uh, the last year or more, I guess, um, you, you can see that our country as a whole is in turmoil. You know, there's always, I guess it's always been this way. Maybe it just seems worse now because we have so much media and we get so much information but, you know, the, the whole debates that are going on now within our country about the things that we believe and about the things that, especially the older generations, you know, my, my parents and grandparents and, and my generation, you know, we have been taught these values and principles, you know, our whole life. And they're important to us, you know, about what our country was based on and who we are as a country. So we have these, these understandings like, you know, the freedom of freedom of speech and those kinds of things. We have the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and we look to those things as guidance, and they, they affect how we think and about different subjects, um, about right and wrong and, and what we believe, what we hold as, as a people. We believe that we have the right to life and the right to liberty, you know, the pursuit of happiness, those things that we have learned throughout the years, and they, they shape our attitudes and our beliefs uh, of who we are, as a people, you know, we've had these beliefs for some 250 years as a country, you know, from the beginning of our country. And they're under debate now, um, some of these things that we, we hold dear, like, you know, especially about the, you know, the freedom to have arms, you know, weapons and guns and those kinds of things. And so there's a lot of debate constantly about that. Now, imagine if you would, someone came along, a group of people came along, and they probably do this. But they came from Washington and they said, hey, we've, you've got these laws and beliefs, you know, you've had these for 250 years. We're going to change them tomorrow. How would that make you feel? How does that affect you, the way your attitudes and things? And now imagine if it was just one person. And again, we have um, elections coming up this year, right? So somebody's going to do that, right? They're going to stand up and say, hey, you know, let's change all this stuff. Let's, let's change it up a little bit. So that's kind of where... These people were in the Sermon on the Mount. They were listening to Jesus teach, and they were listening to things they had never heard before. They were all brand new, and he was saying, let's change things up. Let's raise the bar. Right, that's what he's saying. Let's raise the bar. Some of the laws that God had given to govern them had um, been twisted by their teachers, and so they had some wrong attitudes about some things. I'm going to look at a little bit about that today. Um, but, you know, just think about the things that they have been taught for probably 1,500 years. You know, we think about our beliefs for 250 years. We've been taught these things. But they had been taught these things for 1,500 years. They were ingrained in their thinking and their attitudes. So Jesus takes, we've been looking at this, Jesus takes some of these things that they held as beliefs and they were important to them, 
and he, um, he turns them upside down, right? He just says, this is what the law says, but this is what I'm saying. And so it was a shock to some of them, even when you get down to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says they were astonished because he was teaching them like he had an authority, like he, he had the authority to teach these things and say, this is what you need to do. And so they were astonished. Jesus contrasts some of the Old Testament beliefs to what he was saying in the kingdom. These are what's going to be these things are going to be important in my kingdom when my kingdom comes. That's why the Sermon on the Mount you hear called the Beatitudes, because he was addressing not their actions so much, but their attitudes towards God and towards other people. Jesus is correcting some of the wrong attitudes that they had by contrasting what they had been taught for so many years to what he was saying. The title of our message today is called Going the Extra Mile. Some of your Bibles may even have a little... uh, uh, title above these verses that says going the second mile going the extra mile so that's kind of where we're at today we're in Matthew 5 38 42 and as I said this is uh, probably one of the hardest ones this summer because all the other guys were kind of had like one subject but today we're going to talk about four attitudes that Jesus addressed four attitudes that he addressed and when I first looked at this I thought it was just kind of one little subject as I studied this I realized that he's talking about four different things In the four attitudes that Jesus is talking about in verses 38 and 42, Jesus takes what would normally be a response, our response and their response, to certain subjects and certain uh, situations, and he turns them upside down. He says that they were astonished. We said that. And even later on, as you read through the Gospels, um, some of the things that he was teaching was so radical that it says some of his followers just couldn't handle it, and they, it says that they turned away, they left him, because some of the things he taught were so different from what they believed and so radical that they just couldn't handle it. Now, these things that we're talking about today and the things that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount this summer, they're not tests. They're not like the law that God had given in the Old Testament. They're not tests for us as Christians to look at other people and say, hey, you're not doing this and this and this like Jesus said on the mount, so you, maybe you're not really a Christian or you're not the Christian you need to be. And, and they're not tests for us as Christians to look at other people or even as a church to look at other people in the church and say, these are tests. You know, Jesus said this, you're not doing that. You know, we're, we're looking at you and say, maybe you're not really a Christian. These aren't tests. These are dealing with attitudes that each one of us have and have had and maybe even struggle with. All right, so let's look at uh, Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, everybody's heard this verse before, right? Turn the other cheek, an eye for an eye. And what Jesus is dealing with in this attitude is the attitude of revenge or retaliation. You may think of it as vengeance, the attitude of vengeance or revenge. Now the phrase, an eye for an eye, is a universal expression of equal justice. Even before Moses gave the law in in the Old Testament to God's people, Israel, um, this phrase was around before that. 
But God takes this idea and he includes it into his law for his people. This is a universal, again, everybody's heard this and everybody understands what it's talking about. It's talking about equal justice, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This week you may have seen some of the protests in Hong Kong, the protesters. Um, and, and this picture here lets us know that they, were, they understood what eye for an eye is. Evidently a young lady um, had been hit in the eye and lost her eye from a beanbag or something, one of the protesters. And so the protesters had taken this rally cry, eye for an eye, as a way of saying, hey, we want justice. This girl lost her eye because just because she was protesting, and we want equal justice for that. Eye for an eye is a guideline that judicial judgment should be equal, the crime should equal, the, the punishment should equal the crime. And if you watch law and order and those things, you know, they always say the phrase, the punishment should fit, punishment should fit the crime. And so it's an equal punishment for an equal action. That's what it means. Have you ever met anyone who is obsessed with getting even? Yes or no? <laughs> I think we all have. And the whole idea <clears throat> that a lot of people have about getting even is that I want a little bit more, right? It's not I want equal justice. A lot of times when people are looking for vengeance or revenge, they want to go just a little bit further. I'm reminded of a story in Genesis Genesis 34 it is, um, and I'm not going to go there and read that because we just don't have the time, but it's a story about um, a young lady, Dinah, who was raped. Uh, a man raped her in the town where Jacob and his sons and everything, they were there, and um, one of his daughters was raped, and the, and the man fell in love with her, and he wanted to marry her, and he went to his dad, and his dad said, you know, okay, well, I'll go, to, I'll go and, and we'll talk about Maybe we can come together with God's people and, and join with them and they can marry and all that. Well, when the sons um, heard this, when the, uh, the guys, um, the, the brothers, excuse me, of the sister heard this, you know, they became enraged, it said. And, and so they came up with this plan. I won't go into the whole thing, but they ended up killing all the men in the town, all the men. And so it wasn't an eye for an eye. It was an overreaction. And that's why God gives this ruling in his law in the Old Testament, to quell that desire, the natural desire to get even with other people and even do more than was, was called for. In Samuel, we even see the same thing with David, King David, when uh, he had sinned and he had killed um, Uriah the Hittite, you know, and he had him murdered. And Nathan came to David and, and confronted him. He told him the story about the, about the lamb, you know, this, this man had a lamb. He was a poor man. He only had one lamb. And the rich man had many. And, and uh, the, the rich man took the one poor man's lamb and killed it and, and had a feast with it. And so David became enraged. He said, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this does not deserve to live. And so this man had stolen a lamb. And David got so angry, you know, he's like, We should kill him. He needs to die. So God gives this as a restraint. But God's people over the years had heard this, and instead of looking at this as um, a restraint or a judicial ruling, they had taken it as a freedom to not forgive other people and to hold people accountable for whatever little slight that they may have had. 
We all love a good revenge story, don't we? Yes? All the movies, you think you could probably, I, I just this week I was just going through in my mind all the movies, especially the Clint Eastwood movies, right? The Western movies, they're all about revenge, right? Something happens at the beginning of the movie, you know, he's a farm, poor farmer, and people come in, they kill his wife and kids and burn his farm, and the rest of the movie is about him trying to get vengeance, you know? And there's so many different movies that, and a matter of fact, this morning some people on the stage were kind of telling me, you should have put this up there, you should have picked this clip. But Sainter and I just happened to be home this week and uh, had watched an old movie. Never heard of the movie, never seen the movie. I, I would doubt that anybody in here has ever seen this movie, unless you were watching um, AMC this week. But I have a little clip. Check this out. I'm glad you're going back to make things right. Going back? Wild horses couldn't drag me back. What are you going to do about your wife? Nothing. You're going to let her go to trial for murder? Oh, no, Bill. Why not? She tried to kill me, she and her cousin. But they didn't. Who says they didn't? Let them try and prove it. No matter what your wife did, you can't be tried for something that didn't happen. Oh, Bill, can't you see? You bet I can see. She deserves everything she's getting. Sorry part of it is they'll never convict her. No, Bill. The sorry part is you're not big enough to take a hard jolt to your pride and to your ego. Sure. It hurts to be tricked and cheated by someone you loved and believed in. But that doesn't give you the right to take justice into your own hands, to, to trample on the hearts of others and walk out on life. Right. A barren, frustrated boyhood. A marriage to a woman who accepted my love, yet despised me so thoroughly she resorted to murder. I'll never think of our moments together without nausea. I feel stripped bare, degraded. Because you've closed your mind and heart to everything else. Even me. Oh, Bill, please. Don't destroy the one chance we have for happiness. We haven't got a chance. Doing the right thing never works out. I know. In this world, you turn the other cheek and you get hit with a lug wrench. Forgive me, boss. Try and forgive me. He says, you turn the other cheek and you get hit with a lug wrench. <laughs> we love to get vengeance on other people. I'll just have to admit, it feels good sometimes to get revenge, doesn't it? but that doesn't make it right. It makes us feel good, but in the end, it's the wrong thing. It's hard to think about getting revenge or having vengeance on, or have an attitude of vengeance on other people without talking about forgiveness, but that's not, we don't, we don't want to focus on that because Jesus talked about forgiveness earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, and you can go back and listen to that message. But forgiveness is always at the heart of not getting revenge you can read all kinds of memes and things on Facebook about how bad it is to um, hold grudges and hold on to that and, and not forgive other people. And it's true. It's, it's detrimental to us. As it can destroy us. But sometimes when we get that, we have that revenge and, and we get people back, it, I'll be honest, it can feel good. But it's still wrong, Jesus said. He said, in the Old Testament, you had this law, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If somebody 
knocks you out. You have the right to get them back. But it was a judicial law, not a personal thing for us one-on-one. So Jesus raises the bar. He says, you've been taught this your whole life that you can get people back. It's okay to do get revenge. But the attitude that Jesus has is he raises the bar. He says, on the contrary, he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer, but if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. What Jesus is not saying here, and this is where people, a lot of people take these verses and misinterpret them and misapply them. He is not saying that it's okay for other people to abuse you and do nothing. Jesus is not saying let evil people do whatever they want to you. It says resist the evil, do not resist the evildoer. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about and promoting, promoting pacifism. And a lot of religions or, or even denominations teach that. Some even use these verses as a weapon against other Christians and saying that, hey, you're a Christian, you've got to turn the other cheek while I do whatever I want abuse you or misuse you or treat you badly. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is saying that in his kingdom, we are to turn the other cheek. Now we're looking at the kingdom that's coming and there's going to be perfect judgment there. As a matter of fact, Jesus will be judging evil and we will be helping him. And so I believe that Jesus is teaching in the kingdom, evil acts and evil deeds will be judged immediately in the kingdom. But as we've heard and as we've talked about as we've gone through this whole series, that our life here on this earth is practice for eternity and for the kingdom. So we need to apply these things, these attitudes today of not getting revenge. The idea is that we shouldn't hold grudges against people that have done things wrong to us. Even Jesus withdrew from people that were seeking to kill him. Now, if this verse says, do not resist an evil person, then that wouldn't be true because Jesus, it says, when they tried to kill him certain times before he went to the cross, it said he withdrew from them. He, you know, he disappeared. They tried to throw him off a cliff and he withdrew from them. Jesus even stood up to evil people or or bad people in the temple who were taking advantage of people by exchanging money and animals and things like that, and they were taking advantage of people. Jesus stood up to that. So Jesus can't be saying, don't stand up to evil people in this verse. And through the New Testament, we see where we're to judge right and wrong. So he's not saying, don't judge people or or don't face evil, or don't fight against evil. What he's saying is that we shouldn't have the attitude of vengeance. And that attitude of vengeance says this, it feels good to get even. That's the attitude, it's the feeling that he's dealing with. If his listeners were, and we today, would listen to the whole law, they could see the attitude of retaliation um, was not what God wanted. He gave this as a law, not as an attitude towards other people because in the Old Testament he says this in the same law. Leviticus 19.18 says this, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Um, Scott taught us last week, and he was supposed to be this Sunday. I was supposed to be last week. 
But anyway, he's the next verses after me. We're to love our enemies. We're to love one another. And that's what uh, Scott talked about last week. Jesus was talking about not having an attitude of vengeance or revenge. In his kingdom, there will be no need for personal vengeance. There will be perfect judgment. All right, the next verse, Matthew 5, 40, Jesus says, As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And in this attitude, Jesus is addressing the attitude of let's fight about it. And that's my interpretation, okay? I couldn't come up with anything better. The attitude of let's fight about it. And again, just like you know people who live for vengeance and they get back at people and get even, you know people who like to fight all the time, don't you? Yes? Yes. It may be seem like Jesus is talking about the same thing with revenge in this, in this little, little thing he's saying here about um, somebody's taking you to court, but it's a little bit different. Revenge is saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this in my heart, I'm going to hold this in my mind, and I'm going to scheme and think about how I can get even with someone who, who's done something bad to me. This idea of let's fight about it is a natural reaction when someone says, you know, it comes to you and, and confronts you about something. Having a spirit of revenge goes like this. You wronged me, now I'm going to get even. This idea of fighting about it, having that attitude of let's fight, is something that's instantaneous and it's just natural. So whenever somebody confronts me, it's just a natural response that I have. When I was in elementary school, there was a, um, a boy who loved to take things. We'll say he had sticky fingers. And he liked to steal other people's pencils. He had a huge collection in his desk of other people's pencils. And so whenever we would find something missing, you know, we already knew who, who it probably was. And so we would confront this person, and then we would tell the teacher. And then the teacher would confront him, say, okay, open up your box, and there would be our stuff, our pencils or whatever. And, and he would still argue. I didn't take it. It wasn't me. I don't know how that got in there. You know, it was just a natural response to fight about it. The the attitude says this, I have the right to fight. I have the right to defend myself, even if I'm guilty. And the escalation just continues as you have that attitude. Jesus gives an illustration of someone taking another person to court deservedly or not, it doesn't say. He just said if someone is taking you to court and they're suing you to take your shirt, it would be your inside shirt. And we think about that today is kind of weird, um, but that was valuable to them. Their clothes were value, valuable to them. Matter of fact, the outer cloak that they had was so valuable, there was a law in the Old Testament that said that if a person gave that outer coat up as security, like like um, they wanted a loan, hey, I need to borrow $5, Here's my coat. I'm going to bring you back the $5. You hold my coat until I bring it back to you. They weren't allowed to keep that coat or that outer coat, the tunic, overnight because that person would need that that night for, for, for covering. And, and so they weren't allowed to do that in the law. And so it was very valuable to them. And so Jesus says, hey, if somebody's going to sue you and try to take your, in, your inner shirt, your shirt, he said, give them your coat also. And Paul continues this attitude that we're to have in 1 Corinthians because the Corinthians were taking each other to the court, especially they were taking each other to um, public court, uh, not Christian court. 
And they were taking people and suing them for different things. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Let's read this out loud together. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Mm. Yeah, somebody said that. Mm. That's not easy to hear, is it? That's definitely raising the bar, isn't it? Jesus said, hey, if somebody's going to sue you, don't just give them what they're suing you for. Give them, give them extra. And again, this is the attitude that we're to have, that not to fight about it. The next thing Jesus says in Matthew 41, 5, 41, he says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now you're probably thinking, I've got this one, right? This is the easy one, going the extra mile. Everybody's heard that phrase. And what that meant to the, the Jesus' listeners is that um, they were living under occupation of the Roman government, and they had a rule that um, the Roman go, uh, soldiers had a rule that if they were on a march, if they were going someone, somewhere, and they, they were getting tired, they could grab somebody and say, here, you grab my stuff, my pack, and you, by law, have to go with me at least one mile, carry my stuff for me. And they were only allowed to make them go that far. And we see this, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, you know, the Roman soldiers grabbed somebody and told them to grab Jesus' cross and carry him. They, they had the right to do that. And so the, the people that were hearing this, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. When we hear going the extra mile, we think about something different. And again, this is our modern attitude and hearing and saying, because I always say this at work. I tell my guys, it never hurts to... Y'all wake up. It never hurts to go the extra mile. I've told them that before. It never hurts to go the extra mile. What I'm saying is, hey, just do a little bit extra sometimes for a customer. Why? Because then, you know, it's, it looks good. You know, we might get paid a little more. We might get a tip. Hey, they might tell their, their neighbors, hey, you know, these guys really did a good job. They even did some stuff that I wouldn't expect them to do. You know, we, we th say things like this. Hey, you know, I was, I was going home, coming home today, and, and uh, there were some people in, in, from Pennsylvania, and they were cutting me off. And, you know, I just kind of laid back and let them do whatever, you know. I didn't get all mad. And, you know, I just kind of smiled. And, you know, I was going the extra mile, right? Right? You know, and my wife, did, she didn't ask me to take the trash out this morning, but I did it anyway, you know. I was going the extra mile for her. That's the way we look at it. We look at it as going the extra mile as a good deed, something good that I've done. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is talking about the attitude, having uh, confronting the attitude of mediocrity. Mediocrity. And what Jesus is talking about is that he was telling his followers that going the extra mile doesn't mean doing a good deed for somebody that you like or some, trying to do something to get something from somebody. But he's talking about going an extra mile for their enemies. That's the way they saw the Romans. But they have the attitude of mediocrity in that Jesus says to go in the extra mile is because they were forcing them to do that. He said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. He's talking about doing more than what's required, not just what you have to do. Those who may be forcing you to do something, uh, serving them in a way that maybe you don't really feel comfortable doing, he says, go the extra mile. 
the attitude of mediocrity says this, I'm only going to do the bare minimum. I'm only going to do what's required and no more. You can't make me. That's my right. And the attitude can creep into all kinds of different areas in our life, whether it be our work life, even serving God, we can have the same attitude. Colossians 3.23 says this, In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. So Paul kind of reemphasizes the same idea that Jesus is talking about. Don't just be mediocre. Don't have the attitude of mediocrity, but have the attitude of a servant. All right, the last one we're going to talk about, the last attitude comes from Matthew 5, 42. He says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now we're talking, Jesus is addressing the attitude of stinginess. Stinginess. And again, that's just kind of my word on that. Um, a lot of people think about greed. And this is a little bit different than greed. Greed is the, is the idea that, hey, I'm going to get as much as I can. I'm going to save it up and I'm going to keep it. You know, I'm grabbing, I'm trying to do this. But the idea of stinginess is no matter what I have, you know, I'm going to keep. I, you know, I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to keep hold on to that. There's some, you know, this mine. You, you can't tell me to give it away. It's mine. Sandra and I just went to, and most of you know this, our folks know this, they've seen on Facebook, we went to Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was surprised at how many homeless people were living there, especially with the climate, you know, being so cold in the wintertime. But we saw a lot of homeless people. And it's easy to get callous when you see poor people, especially homeless people, on the street, you know, your mind goes straight to, well, maybe they deserve to be there. Maybe they're alcoholics. Maybe they're drug addicts. You know, maybe they made wrong choices, that, you know, with their own fault. But it's easy to be callous about who we help and who we don't help. And Jesus says that we're not to turn away from these people. We're to provide for them. He says, stop being stingy. Jesus addresses the attitude of stinginess and the reluctance to help other people by saying that we should help them out if they need resources to lend to them, whether they deserve it or not, he says. He doesn't give a qualifier. We all have causes and people, things that are easy to give to or people that are easy to help. But Jesus is not just talking about those people. He's talking about all people. And his people, the, the Jewish people, and again, going back to the Old Testament, uh, they had some verses that, that Jesus, I mean, that God had given to them to help them understand this. Look at um, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. Let's read that out loud together. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers, within any of your gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, you must not be, what? hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. And so they were thinking, you know, hey, okay, I can do that. I can help out my brother, you know. But then you think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said the neighbor was who? Whoever needed it, the person who was suffering. And even in Leviticus 19.34, it says this, you must regard the foreigner who lives with you as the native born among you. 
He says it's the same thing. You know, before the, the in, in the previous verse, he's talking about helping out your brother. But he says, you must regard the foreigner who lives with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself. You were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. Jesus is not letting these um, Jewish people just focus on them, on their, their kind, their people. He's saying that we need to help out everyone who asks or those who need. Again, Jesus is not setting down four new laws, but he's addressing four attitudes that each one of us deal with and have to struggle with. I would imagine that each person here may be even struggling with one of these, at least one of these today, these attitudes that Jesus addressed. All of these four attitudes that Jesus deals with in these verses addresses today, they are things that our attitudes as we deal towards people who maybe we don't like or maybe we see as our enemies. Revenge is someone who's wronged me. You know, that attitude of revenge, I need to get back. I have the right to get back at that person, that enemy of mine. Escalating a fight, someone who wants to take away something that you have that is yours. Being half-hearted in what we do or stinginess, these four attitudes. So how do we deal with them? Each one of us have to deal with them in some different way. So how do we deal with these uh, these attitudes that we have or these temptations? Let me give you a couple of, of uh, practical things that maybe we can look at this morning as we look at these. The first one is with revenge is we can trust that it's not up to me to get even. Again, we devise and we think about and we feel like these things that we have to take revenge on. We think about different ways we can do that. You know, there are different ways of getting even at people that we use. Uh, one of them may just be the cold treatment, you know. Um, hey, I'm not going to speak to that person. They did this to me. I'm just going to turn away from them. I'm going to reject them. We may um, have the idea of revenge. That, hey, I can tear this person down by going around and telling other people about what they've done to me and putting them down. We have the idea that we can also take revenge by scheming and doing different things. Some people, this the revenge that they feel is just the whole idea that they're thinking about these things. That makes me feel good to um, think about ways I could hurt them. It may just be in your mind. Or it actually may be taking revenge and actually hurting them some way. So there are different ways. And let me say this about revenge. It's not the same as consequences. So don't let people trick you into thinking about that. People have to live with consequences of their actions sometimes. But revenge is that feeling, that attitude that I have that, hey, this feels good. You know, I'm going to use this as a satisfaction for myself. Consequences, people have to live with their consequences. That's just a conscious decision we have to make sometimes about people's actions. All right, now the second one is uh, the whole brawler attitude. Let's fight about it. You have to know that I don't have to win every time. We feel like sometimes we have to win every single time that I have a conversation with someone. We don't have to win every time. We had two people in our, uh, we had one man in our church one time years ago, and he was in a dispute with another man in another church. And, um, and they just couldn't come to terms. But luckily they were, they were faithful Christians, and they were, um, they were willing to um, have us, people in the church, 
listened to each side and they said they agreed they would go by what we said. Rather than taking each other to court, dragging each other into public court, they said, we will, we're willing to do that. And they sat down and explained to us their grievances and, and we decided, we made a decision. They were, they were good with that. So sometimes we need to view a loss as actually a win for Christ. The attitude of mediocrity, how do we, uh, how do we deal with that? The first one, one of the things we can do is being a servant means serving everyone, even those I don't care for. Those who don't make me look good to serve them or provide for them. People that maybe you might not think about helping. And lastly, generosity has to extend to all people. We can all tend to be stingy with our time and our resources from time to time. Especially our time, because that seems to be the most important thing to us at times. Especially when it's someone that we don't see as deserving or less deserving than what we think. And so if we're going to battle the attitude of stinginess, we need to be open to serving all people, just like Jesus did. He saw, you know, we, we could have been, we, in the Bible it calls us his enemy. When we were living in sin, we were his enemy, but he loved us enough to serve us and go to the cross for us. The whole idea, if we could build, boil it down this morning about these attitudes and about <clears throat> the attitude that Jesus wants us to have towards people who oppose us or our enemies or our foes, however you may want to look at it that way, is grace. God wants us to extend to them the grace that we have received in our lives. And again, if you're here this morning and you're like, I really don't understand what you're talking about, we would love to sit down and explain that to you. At the end of the service, we'll be here. But I want to ask you right now, if you would, to bow your heads. As we wrap up, I'm going to uh, pray with you and, and pray for you. Father, we um, are looking at these verses this morning and a lot of things that Jesus said are tough, tough to take, tough to take in and tough to apply. Father, but um, as believers, we know that we have received grace from you. We've received a gift that we don't deserve. We've uh, received love that we don't deserve. And we pray, Father, as your people, that we can show other people the same grace that you've shown us and the same love and forgiveness that you've showed us. Now, each one of these things come up in our lives probably every week, things that we have to deal with, people we have to deal with, people that we may not like, we may view as our enemy or our foe or competition, whatever it might be. I pray that as we go through this week, especially that you'll help us to be aware of these things that we're talking about, these attitudes that creep into our life. Pray, Father, that grace would be at the forefront of our minds as we deal with people this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others, reach the world.